Transformationist is dedicated to real stories of transformation and the insights and actions that make it possible. Our guests share from their own stories the strategies and experiences that can help you shape transformation in your own life. Whether you are changing your mind, responding to change, or designing a life different from what you have right now, my hope is that these stories will inspire you and help you on the way. Hi, I'm Tash McGill, and welcome to The Transformationist. One of the first principles of transformation is understanding that the thinking that has brought you this far is not the thinking that will take you to the next phase of life. But some of those beliefs can form the foundation of our very existence, especially when we talk about religion and spirituality uh, and matters of faith. So what happens when you change your mind about some of those religious structures and patterns of behaviour? In this episode of The Transformationist, I'm talking to David Hayward about his his personal and public journey through changing his mind. He was ordained to the ministry in 1987 uh, and then left in 2010. Uh, And the story of that is uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, He's an artist. He is a coach. He is uh, somebody who still connects with people through a community, an online community called The Lasting Supper. So David, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. So tell us a little bit about your uh, day-to-day life now. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, get into, we'll get into the before shortly, but, but what is life for you now? Okay, well, um, I get up very early. I'm an early bird, so I get up early and then I uh, me- you know, meditate or contemplate or I read poetry or some contemplative or mystical literature and just sort of uh, rest in that for a while. And then I, I try to write in my journal and my reflections or what's going on. And often I'll include writing any important dreams I've had that night. And then I just take care of my dog. I make my coffee, I turn on some music, and then I get to work. And what that usually means is, uh, first thing is drawing my cartoon for Naked Pastor, as well as writing an accompanying post um, on the topic. And then I look over my online community that you mentioned, The Lasting Supper, and just pay a visit there and make sure everything's running smoothly. And then I usually go for a run or do my workout with weights. And then I get back to work again. Oh, first I take my dog for a walk (laughs) after that. And then I get back to work, and that's usually reading, studying, doing research, as well as working on all the websites that I'm running and my social media. And that takes me into the afternoon. Uh, And then I take my dog for another walk. And then when I come back, I usually try to do some art, like painting or drawing or things like that. And then check in on my Lasting Supper community again. And um, then my wife and I, if she's off, we enjoy the evening together. Um, or if she's off during the day, I try to get all everything done very early and we spend the day together. So that's my life. I'm basically, I work from home and um, I'm involved in many projects, all of which I love and I'm really happy doing. And, um, you know, married to Lisa and we're having a good time. Our three kids are grown up. Um, 
and uh, all doing well. So yeah, life's good. So, I mean, it sounds like there are a number of, you know, what, what I would call, you know, spiritual practices that, uh, that form the structure of your, of your day and of your work. Uh, mm-hmm. take, us, take us back, though, to before. Um, take us back to um, what life was like when you, were, when you were ordained and working in the ministry. How, how different was that expression then? Um, tell us a little bit, I guess, about, the, about the, the place where you were at when you started to change your mind about how, how doing ministry or, or encouraging people towards spiritual independence. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that, where were you at when you started to, to change your mind about those things? Well, um, I think I've always been changing my mind. Like I, from the very beginning, for as long back as I remember, I've always been curious, intellectually curious, and always been a reader, always researching. And I think at the root of that is just, just this deep desire to know and to understand. I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to know what was real. And so my mind has always been changing. I, I've always been, you know, intentional about learning. And I... I think what happens, though, is that I will be moving along at a normal pace and then all of a sudden something will happen, either in my outer world or my inner world, uh, that will propel me into a cataclysmic kind of change. So Mm. I, I, I compare it to somebody who's looking for a way to get across a canyon and uh, searching pathways, roads, up and down, in and out, all these squiggly lines looking for this little footpath across a canyon and then suddenly finds it and then makes his way across. That to me is how my life has been where I've been constantly progressing, I think, (coughs) uh, (laughs) growing, you know. Some Some people might say, might not agree that I've been growing, but uh, I I feel I've been growing and progressing along the way. And then something will happen like a, a tragedy or I'll have a dream or I'll read a powerful book or I'll, something will happen that will suddenly I realize I'm across the canyon. You know, it's, it's those moments that I remember. Uh, the other parts are drudgery. Uh, and it's just, just, plain, simple, normal growth. And then, and then all of a sudden, um, there's the propulsion forward at a, at a much quicker rate because something has happened. I think that's, I think that's normal for most people actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it, is there a, do you sense when you, because so much of, because so much of the work that you do is with people, do you, Uh do you have a sense that you engage with that, ongoing change and that ongoing growth in a way that's more deliberate than perhaps some others because I that I find in in my work I find it I find a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a, a separation between you know those who who want to kind of press in who are constantly looking for as you describe you know constantly looking for the pathway constantly looking for the way forward Uh through the experiences that they have and then those who who fear growth or who fear change um and Uh or or simply don't want to do the work 
you know um yeah. do you is there you know is there a, is there a sense that have you always been a little more deliberate about leaning into that i i think so um maybe even obsessive about it and i but in 2009 i had uh one of my moments where i experienced uh very traumatic growth i would say and it happened from a dream and i won't tell you the whole story basically the the conclusion is that i i finally experienced the peace of mind that i had been searching for my whole life i woke up and my mind was in complete peace and i've had it ever since that was in 2009 and so now ever since then you know it's a funny thing like i i'm not i don't read much theology at all i'm not really interested i do read some philosophy and some you know um quantum physics stuff or whatever and other essays and things but i'm just not driven like i used to be uh, i just have this peace of mind i saw behind the i felt i saw behind the curtain i'm at peace there's no longer this drive you know this this obsession to know because i i feel i've seen something i i'm at peace and i i'm not obsessing after something anymore so uh, i kind of envy that there's some people who are just living life and they don't you know try to see behind the curtain they're just living life and there's something about that i envy mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're just being uh, and in a healthy way there's others who are just living life and and like you say they they don't want to know the truth they're they're living in fear uh or or in darkness or in ignorance or whatever i don't want to live like that either but uh i i do, i do enjoy the place where i'm at now where my mind is at peace it's not a lazy peace it's not a i've given up peace it's like i i i feel like i've um seen something and i my mind is completely at peace and and i feel really good about that and i'm just now i'm just trying to learn how to how to be so it's a very kind of a i i hate to use this word but it feels very zen you know it mm-hmm. it feels uh very zen where um i i'm just trying to be fully present in the now does that make sense so do, or? Uh, i th- i think so i i think it does mm-hmm. i think uh it probably uh, you know i i imagine that depending on the the place that people depending on the place that people are at is how is mm. whether or not that kind of conversation makes sense um or mm-hmm. you know perhaps it provokes curiosity um but the the thing that i'm always interested in when um i mean to to go from to go from being you know driven to pursue and to understand you know knowing to then mm-hmm. wake up one day and have a mind that's at peace um i mm-hmm. i can only imagine that that would have provoked um that would have provoked some enormous changes as you as you like that would have changed oh, yeah. rhythms in your life and it would have changed the way that you interacted with you know perhaps with certain people or um with certain structures so so what what happened right. af- after that moment what 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 was thrown up into the air well i i had been doing my blog naked pastor for many years and um you know the people in my congregation when i was pastoring at that time uh you know most of them if any they didn't read it they were they were like you know we have to listen to you every week why do we need, 
why would we read your blog kind of a thing. So, uh, <laughs> but then when I, the point of naked pastors that I was going to be honest and open and vulnerable as a pastor and just share the real life experiences of, of a pastor. And so when I had that dream and, and I, I finally had peace of mind, uh, in, in May of 2009, I was sharing about this on my blog and that's when things started to turn upside down for me, uh, because then people were starting to question my beliefs and, uh, were wondering what in the heck I was talking about and started to, I was starting to hear from other churches, uh, from my superiors, you know, and I knew, I knew then that, and then it was starting to get back to some people in my congregation who'd never before read my blog. And now they were starting to hear rumors about my beliefs and everything. And I, that, that was probably, I would say that was the beginning of the end of my ministry because it was, uh, the next year, it was almost a year exactly when, uh, me and the congregation went our separate ways. So that was the biggest change from that. And then the other other change was more personal, and that's where I just really felt myself calming down and relaxing and enjoying life and just being, which and, and not being afraid, you know, not living in fear. And and that was a great feeling to to have. Mm, isn't it I I find it so fascinating that um we have, I think we have a cultural obsession, at least mm. in the West, with with this idea of transparency and authenticity. You know, mm. we 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 elevate it as uh, we elevate it as something that is good and worthy, and yet when we when we encounter honesty and authenticity and transparency, our mm. our ability to deal with the consequences of that, um, or to deal with the reality of other people's authenticity, uh, is often is often actually we we're just not up to par. We're just we don't I don't I don't think that culturally we actually know what to do with with this idea that we hold up as being something um, something worthwhile to pursue. I mean I, yeah I've had similar experiences where um, I mean I was I was I was stood down from a from a, a volunteer role um, based on something I wrote on my on my own website <laughs> you uh-huh. know and 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 the and and that reality of being able to or the, the 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 reality of the tension of of having to wrestle you know what is what is mine what are my words what are my thoughts what are mine and mm-hmm. what and what do I have the right to share or to say in whichever mm-hmm. forum I choose um but also what is, you know, what is the right of the other when it comes to, you know, um, discerning or understanding or or investigating what I put out into the world. And I think, you know, that tension is something that, that tension I think is something that, that, um, that religious and social organisations particularly, particularly wrestle with, you know. At, oh, yeah. At what point... Yeah, at what point do you... At what point as a, as a pastor or as a spiritual leader... Um, are you are you entitled to your own questions and your own exploring and your own you know path of discovery? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I I, I was aware of that tension, but uh, you know the church I was pastoring at the time it was a vineyard church, uh, and I'd been there for many years, and it was a great community. It uh, was a community that valued authenticity and valued honesty 
and valued the um, validity of questions and doubt and and enjoyed diversity of belief and all that was great. But something was threatened, I think, when I was and I, I felt I felt I can enjoy all those thing values, but something was threatened. I, I, I went too far. I crossed some kind of a invisible line with with too many of the people that that mattered and it uh, it threatened it felt they felt it threatened the integrity of the community so the leader and and I, I, I felt I'd always wanted clarity when it was time for me to go and I felt you know if my own personal health, and freedom was at risk, or the health of the congregation was at risk. Uh, then that it was time for me to go, and it was at that point when I realized I was losing the favor of the of the people, the support of the people in the congregation were wrestling too much with where I was, and it it threatened the integrity of the community. So, the leadership team and I decided it, that we were no longer compatible. Mm. theologically so it was uh, amicable at first <laughs> and and you know we we went our separate ways and you know i i'm glad i did it was one of the hardest things i've ever done i'll admit that but i to this day i'm glad i i did that made that step do you feel uh, how did you how did you maintain that newfound sense of peace in the midst of or did you maintain that that peace in the midst of such upending, you know, kind right. of life turmoil? Right. Well, a, a term we throw around a lot for people like me is deconstruction. That's where uh, the beliefs that you used to hold uh, deconstruct, like they they crumble, they they disintegrate. Some of them actually disappear. Uh, but uh, there's a, and I'm talking theologically or belief wise mm-hmm. or philosophically. But I think there's another kind of deconstruction, and that is the one from, you know, your religious community or your church or whatever. Uh, so I'd already deconstructed, I, I would say, theologically. I, I finally had that peace of mind I'd been looking for my whole life, and I was enjoying that. But uh, there was another deconstruction I was going to experience, and that was... Um, deconstructing from church, which I'd been a part of my entire life. Mm. And I was a pastor for about 30 years. So it was so ingrained in who I was and what I did and how I made my money and who my friends were and everything, my sense of meaning and purpose and all that, that, uh, that walking away from that was just as traumatic. And so the internal peace of mind was fine in terms of my own internal peace, but uh, there was a whole how, how another. It's one thing to um, have awareness; it's another thing to integrate that into your actual life for it to trickle down or percolate into your everyday practical living. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I had to learn. I had peace of mind. Now let's see if we can make this work in my day-to-day life where I was losing friends, losing my vocation, my job, losing my career, losing my income, losing our community, you know, all these things. Uh, and it took took a few years 
Um, we almost we even almost lost our marriage. It was so traumatic, but uh, we made it, and we're doing better than we ever have. But it took a couple of years to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, the, I think the 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 wrestle is that the inner world, whether whether it whether it's something that changes in the inner world or something that changes in the outer world, the inner mm. and outer worlds will always push to alignment. You know, I think it's one of the yeah. that that's yeah. one of the principal truths. So whatever is on the inside will will eventually make its way out, and whatever is external, you know, it will 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 encroach on the, on the internal world, and and that right. alignment process, uh, I think, is yeah. You know, which is why I asked the question. You know, so if, when you changed your mind, when you when you began to change your mind about some of those structures, you know, uh-huh. what were the things then that that had to that had to change in the exterior simply because you know th- th- it must happen. But I, I think sometimes that's the most uncomfortable part of the process. The thinking right. isn't necessarily. The thinking, whilst it might be agonizing, is not necessarily the the truly difficult part of the work. It's as you say, it's integrating it's integrating those internal changes into your external life, which is, I guess, the practice of integrity, really. Right. Yeah, and it's what Carl Jung, the the depth psychologist, would call individuation, where you become an individual wherever you are, uh, but a part of that individuation is the the integration of all these parts of your life, including your shadow part and, you know, your outer part, your inner part, and all these parts, right? So, yeah, it was... uh, even though the anguish, the mental anguish I had experienced up until I had that, um, you know, moment of awareness uh, where I have had peace of mind um, ever since, it it took a while for it to percolate outward into my outer life. But it had to. I knew it had to, and and so it it played a. It, I had to, my whole world changed. Everything changed. Uh, my, like I said, it was like the perfect storm uh, where everything in my life that I um, relied upon or that was a constant ended up getting thrown up into the air. And we had no idea how we were going to land or what was going to land. And so, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a very difficult process, but like I said, I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think this is what growth looks like. Mm. Do, yeah. do, was it made more challenging by, by the, the fact you already had this kind of public journey that was underway through the Naked Pastor blog and, and your artwork? You know, your artwork has always taken, your cartoons in particular, um, you know, have uh-huh. always taken a very sharp view at traditional church structures and, and I think have been, uh, you know, have been remarkably helpful for a number of people, um, but have also, you know, at times, um, you know, st- stirred up chatter and provoked and pushed th- pushed kind of hot buttons, um, you know, f- for others who are engaged in that world. But with having, with, with having so much of that journey already in public display, did, did mm-hmm. it make it more difficult to, to, you know, to find ways of doing the, the work that needed to be private? Um, well, like I, I've, all, I've been blogging with The Naked Pastor since I think 2005 or maybe earlier, but that's a long time. That's 13 years. Is that right? Yeah. <clears throat> About? Yeah, that's 13 years. 
where I've been really honest and struggling and, you know, sharing my journey and my joys and my, my uh, struggles, my disappointments, my doubts, my fears, all those things. So I've, and, and that's, that's the, the thing about Naked Pasture and blogging the way I blogged was um, if, if people, you can't look at my life uh, as a series of snapshots. It's a, it's a movie. That's, and that's, that's the way I think we need to look at anybody's life. So if you were to take a look at any blog post from, say, 10 years ago, mm. you might say, this doesn't, this doesn't look like you, even though it's, it sounds like an honest person. It doesn't look like you now, but it's a part of the process of me getting here. I wouldn't be who I am now unless I was who I was then. <laughs> don't say that too fast but and i won't be who i am tomorrow unless i am who i am today and and so i i kind of live out loud because i i think it's a valid way of encouraging others to embrace their journeys it validates other people in their confusing wandering you know walks through life and that we're always arriving and uh that we should always embrace the the parts of our journey that are not only the good parts, but the uncomfortable parts. And um, I kind of, I compare it to um, like uh, compost, which is half earth and, and half manure. Uh, it's, it, it gets folded in together and that's uh, the the nutritious soil out of which the crops grow and bear fruit. And I think my life and your life, everybody's life is the same where there's the, the, the good, bad, and the ugly kind of all gets blended in, folded in with each other. And that's what makes us who we are today. So that's why I think it's, um, I've, I've always lived out loud. Now, if I, if I'd never blogged and if I was just a private person living you know, my own private life and nobody knew me and I went to work and went home and did my own thing and everything, I would be enjoying the same peace of mind I was having now and, and trying to make a difference in my, my world. But my world isn't like that. Mine is, uh, a, my, my journey is kind of a public one. So, Are you ever tempted to, uh, to go back and, and carefully edit uh, some of some of the former life with that you know with that sense of that I and I, I asked the question only because I I have that temptation at uh-huh. times to um, you know to, to go back and curate the public window um, of of the becoming because the you know I, I just sometimes yeah. think oh you know it was useful it was it, it was useful at the time for to have that avenue of expression but I'm no longer mm-hmm. certain that that aspect or that particular part of my becoming um, needs needs to be public now mm-hmm. well um, I don't think I've ever been tempted to to do that because I really do, uh, like with the Lasting Supper, I, I write a letter every week with, a, you know, advice or whatever, suggestions for people who are deconstructing and so on. And one of the things I constantly say is, like just with that uh, analogy I use with the compost, uh, that we, I think it's important to value our past and 
and the, all the parts of it. So I feel like, personally, I feel like I would be cheating if I went back and edited some of the posts that I wrote then that I wouldn't necessarily write now. Like, I, I do remember times when people saying, were saying, oh, you're, you're in denial, or you're, you're angry, or you sound depressed, or whatever, and I, I might get defensive about that. But, okay, so what if I was angry? Uh, what if I was depressed? What if I had experienced some kind of trauma and needed to go through those stages of some kind of grief or dying, you know, in order to um, get through to the other side? So I, 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 I'm going to let stuff stand I, at this point, you know, um, because um, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be able to write what I'm writing now unless I'd written what I'd written then. So mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a part of the package. Like I say, it's a it's a it's a film. It's not a, a snapshot. I remember once uh, somebody discovered my blog and went to um, went to to read it, and um, they they went right back to the very beginning, and they they started reading uh-huh. from from the very beginning through and at that point I think there was probably about six or seven years worth of content and I really I started I started blogging when I was you know still in my very early uh, when I actually in my in my late teens my word um, <laughs> back then, back when back when we we called them weblogs um, as opposed to oh, yeah. as opposed to blogs you know but um, yeah and I, I remember um, I remember thinking at the time, my word, what an what an insight. At that time, you know, it really would have been like reading my reading my journal. But they probably had, uh, they probably had the opportunity to understand much more of my journey uh, than perhaps you know anybody that that would just simply yeah. jump into jump into my content now, which I think is is fascinating. Yeah. Um, talk t- so talk about the lasting supper a little bit because you've you left the ministry. Um, but have, but you still do some of those essential tasks of the ministry in terms of, you know, reading and coaching and leading and encouraging. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, so, how did you find yourself in that space? It was in 2012. I decided I, uh, I had left the church in 2010. I I'd, I'd gotten a job in a university as a instructor. I felt like a little bit of a refugee who had to rush out of my country with very little possessions, um, no connections, and nowhere to go, and no resources to help me. So uh, I decided to start a website where I would provide resources for people Kind of like a a supply store for pioneers on the edge of civilization who are going to go out and pioneer and find their own land and stake their claim and start from scratch. I wanted to provide them with the necessary equipment they would need to um, make it in the world because I discovered it, it wasn't easy when the, being a part of a church or a faith or whatever for almost your whole life and then suddenly being cast out um, 
and I, I, I helped cast myself out. I, I admit <laughs> that, but I, I was, I was totally unprepared for what, you know, was before me. I, I didn't have any resources. So I started the Lasting Supper to provide people with those resources and just with some advice, you know, like on how to make friends and how to, what do you do when you run into some people that you went to church with and how do you make your marriage survive when you both are no longer on the same page spiritually and how, what if you feel like going back to church, what should you look for if you were spiritually abused by the pastor or the leadership, how do you get over that? And, you know, things like that, right? Just practical suggestions for people who are deconstructing. Mm. But um, what I found was it, what people really appreciated more than all that was the community that was forming. Um, we, we started with, uh, um, with a uh, forum platform on a web, on the website, the lasting supper, but we switched to a private Facebook group and, it really took off after that. People just love that. And that's where our group interacts. Uh, <clears throat> the main site has all the resources still, but the interaction between the members takes place in a private Facebook group. And, um, you know, the there it is, a lot of people say to me, oh, you're still a pastor, you know, and that's your online church. Well, not really. I mean, it, in some ways, yeah, I'm helping people progress uh, along their journey, which I've always done. I've always coached people to empower them to take ownership of their spiritual life and to be spiritually independent. But it's nothing like church. I mean, it just isn't. I mean, they're you know, I'm not I'm not their guru. I'm not leading them anywhere. Uh, you know, we don't have regular meetings of any kind, and you know, it's just a community interaction where spiritually independent people are supporting and encouraging one another in, in their own journeys. And it's quite a diverse group anywhere from believer to atheist, because what we respect is that you get to choose your journey and I get to choose mine. And um, that we're not going to judge or correct or teach one another. We're going to entrust you to your own journey, uh, believing that if you're given space and time, with a little bit of support, you're going to find your own way. And uh, I, I really honestly believe that. I always have. And, and that's how the Lasting Supper works. So, yeah, in a way, uh, you know, it's kind of like a pastor thing. But in, in a way, it's, it's really not. It doesn't feel anything the same. Although at the core of it, I am, I am helping people along their paths or empowering them along their paths. It, to me, it sounds like an awful lot of... Uh an awful lot of freedom and possibly, uh, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are in the ministry and I have a lot of friends who have left the ministry over the years, not always because they're, not always because their spiritual beliefs have changed, but often because they've simply moved into a different phase of life. And, um, right. those, those, I think there's something, there's something really wonderful about the, f the freedoms that you describe in being able to do, I think what people you know, what a lot of people in the ministry would feel like actually is the essential part of that job as opposed to, you know, I guess an, an obsession. And I would, I, I think obsession would be a fair enough word that in the, that in the Western church, there is, you know, there is an obsession with 
um, defining the path for people, defining the way, um, right. defining, you know, yeah. the right set of beliefs and defining the right, you know, I think, you know, the right set of expression of those beliefs, you know, um, yeah. and, and, and in so many respects, they are, um, they are small minded conversations, dare I say, um, that actually right. prevent the the true work because the true the true work is helping people to think critically and engage in their own spiritual beliefs and practices because that's where long lasting kind of transformation happens. That's where peace is found. I think, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but I can imagine I that agree. I can imagine that the and you know, I, I really enjoy hearing what you say around the the deconstruction process because, you know, I think for for a time there's been this. I think there's been a, an idea that that deconstruction is something that is almost a millennial problem. You know, it's something that um, it's something that that people in their twenties and thirties who have grown up in faith do. Um, you know, that oh. it's somehow kind of it's something that happens when you when you hit. Um, adulthood, but actually, I think you know deconstruction can happen and is happening at any stage of life. Um, and and mm-hmm. my question has always been, you know, how do you how can you deconstruct in a healthy way? How can you do it? Because I because I feel that it is possible to do it in a really unhealthy way. It's possible mm-hmm. to it's possible to throw everything out without examining it. Um, mm-hmm. Or, and without taking the time to really, yeah, to do the work in a healthy way. And when that happens, if your whole social fabric is disrupted, um, mm-hmm. if you find yourself all of a sudden, you know, on the other side of, I'll, I'll, I'll steal your picture here, but on the other side of the canyon without actually mm-hmm. any, any tools or resources for how to navigate life without mm-hmm. those without those underpinning structures you know I, I've seen people go to really dark and unhealthy places that that whilst they may not be you know as abusive or traumatic as those you know a, as people who have had terrible church experiences um, mm-hmm. but they can be equally traumatic and destructive um, you know in, yeah. in somebody's life I agree like the, and I talk a lot about that too there are dangers and I I face them when I um, when I theologically deconstructed, not so much, but when I when it was combined with uh, me leaving the church, it it was a very very dangerous time for me, because uh, I agree. Now, if somebody were to ask me how should I deconstruct, I would say you need to do it your own way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, however you do it, and, and I've seen people deconstruct in all kinds of ways, like you know, where they reject Christianity and go into full-blown atheism or essential oils or <laughs> Buddhism or, you know, you name it, uh, or, or into a, a sort of a vast nothingness. Or there's people, if somebody were to ask me, listen, I'm deconstructing, but I want to do it in a healthy way, what would you advise? I have advice when it, if you want to do it in a healthy way. and Because there are dangers. Um, and I... Like I say, I I tasted those dangers uh, when I left the church and everything. There's, and you know, there there's the the danger of slipping back, you know, reverting back to earlier belief systems uh, only because it's less scary there. Mm. There's uh, nobody's. I was a I was a pastor. I was in the gold. I was in the fishbowl for years, being observed. I couldn't do anything wrong publicly or privately, I would be found out and I'd lose my job, right? So 
now nobody cared. Nobody cared what I did or how I behaved or, or what, you know? And so the, there was this whole moral dilemma where uh, I wasn't being watched. Who cared, you know, uh, what I did? Mm. Um, that, and, and with marriage, uh, our marriage almost didn't make it because uh, all of a sudden I felt like I didn't want to be responsible for anything anymore. I didn't want to feel trapped in anything anymore. And that's one of the sad things I see happen, happen with a lot of marriages when they go into deconstruction. Many of them don't make it. Um, I've got advice for the, them too. There's, there's all kinds of dangers. So yeah, there's a, I, think there's a, I think there's a healthy way to do it and there's a less healthy way to do it. And there's a, a very unhealthy way to do it. Yeah, so... Um, and that's the stuff I talk about a lot on my blog, Naked Pastor, and at the Lasting Supper, and in my cartoons, and in my books, and you know everything, uh, because I, I care about people who, and it is happening more and more. It's not just millennials. It's not just young people. It's it's everybody. That that category we call nuns, N O N E S, mm-hmm. is growing by leaps and bounds. And I care about these people because I want them to see that what they are experiencing is trauma in their growth progress. This isn't, uh, okay, the, sh- the, the, the show ends here and you got to start something all over again from scratch. Everything before was wrong. Now you got to start over and figure life out from scratch. I don't, think, I don't think that's the best way to look at it. For me, it's you're growing. This is progress. This is a natural part of the journey where you enter into a time of questions and doubts and fears in order to get to the next stage, which the church doesn't provide space for, in my experience and observation. Mm. So um, that's that's what I try to do with uh, with what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing, and that's what the Lasting Supper is for people who understand that and are looking for some support through that part of their journey. Yeah, I think it, it, one of the challenges, I think, is that we have an overly simplistic view of spirituality and religious structures where you know we kind of wrap it all up in one bundle you know that 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 yeah. our morals and our ethic are determined by our by our spiritual beliefs and our um you know our behavioral norms our our thinking about how society should be you know we we bundle it all up into a belief system that provides that kind of thinking or structure for us uh, but the yeah. risk of that then is that you you take that away and you know and I, I think this is I think this is you know so close to what you're saying or at least related you know that you you can take the belief system away or you can change or examine the belief system but it doesn't that doesn't then remove your core beliefs about about your morality it doesn't it doesn't have to change your ethics it doesn't have to change you know your social code it might it might adjust it a little you might you might need to to tweak it but you are still essentially who you are um, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and that idea, you know, but, it, but it's so true, you know, as you think, as you were saying it, I was thinking about, you know, people and I'm thinking about my own experiences of particularly when that, when that, when that pressure, when that pressure valve of, of responsibility and, and public observation, um, is removed, you know, how, how we become who we really are. And then, mm-hmm. and then sometimes, if that's been tightly constrained, um, the the boundaries 
the boundaries, you know, disappear into the horizon and you almost have to go, you almost have to go exploring to find yourself again. You know, who am I without, who am I without those constraints? Um, yeah. Yeah. So like uh, I, what I, what Lisa and I, my wife is Lisa, what we uh, had to discover was, okay, we're no longer in the same page spiritually. We used to be, you know, exactly on the same page, on the same team, everything. I was a pastor. She was my wife. We were a team. We, uh, you know, worked together, everything uh, totally on the same page. And then suddenly we weren't. And we had to figure out, okay, <clears throat> we thought that was a significant, maybe one of the most important uh, ingredients in the glue that kept us together. We had to figure out, okay, what is it that really keeps us together? Um, and we had to figure out that it was love and mutual respect and honoring one another in our own individuality and uniqueness and, and so on and so forth. Now, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with restraint, like I, social restraint. Like if, if your family and friends and, you know, the society around you pressures you to stay together a little bit longer so you can figure things out, that can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. But like you, but, but, but like you say, constraint where you're, you're pressured to stay together, even to the death of both of you and, and the loss of your souls. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's healthy at all. And that's what happens with a lot of married folk is when they go through this, they, come to realize, hey, you know what? We were married for all the wrong reasons. We only stayed together to keep everybody else happy. And that's a valid thing to come to know. And many of them split up, which is could be the healthiest thing for them. But but yeah, it's a it's a dangerous time. Uh the and and like you say, you you discover what the real root of what you value is, um, what your values are even. And uh, you, you learn how you're going to live your life with authenticity and integrity uh, without the unhealthy aspects of the religious components, you know. And, and that's, a, that's a big part of growth, in my opinion. Mm. Is, there anything that, uh, is there anything that you've held on to? And that, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of believe once you, once you deconstruct, there's, mm -hmm. there's always a reconstruction at least there needs to be, there needs to be, a, yeah. you know, a, re a reconstruction of we are, we're all spiritual, we are all spiritual beings. And so that, that sense of, you know, that sense of living a full humanity requires some element of connection with our souls, with our, um, mm -hmm. with our understanding of the world around us. So, but I'm, 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 I'm interested to know, is there anything that, is there anything from the before that, that you would say has stayed with you in the after, um, you know, was there anything that, was there anything that you decided to, um, that, that you've decided to, to hold on to or that remains or is it all new? Uh, well, um, so Lisa and I are still married. That's good. We held on to that and I'm glad, I'm very glad our marriage is better than it had ever been. Um, because we learned a great deal and, um, discovered we we elevated our marriage to a new level of relationship which was really good and necessary and helpful and we're really happy about that our three kids are doing well they're all adult kids and doing very well but uh pretty much everything else on the surface uh has changed so we we had to learn how to make new friends 
because we felt rejected by the previous ones, and, you know, in the church and everything, mm. which is sad. We've, we've got some of them, but we had to learn how to make new friends. That's a challenge uh, for anybody. Um, you know, I'm self-employed. Lisa's a nurse in a, in a palliative care home. Um, we, we would say we're spiritual. Um, um, when people say, are you a Christian? I say, well, I, my home's in Christianity, but I have cottages everywhere (laughs) (laughs) or, or, um, you know, uh, Christianity's in my DNA. Uh, That's my family of origin. There's no escaping that, but I appreciate the Christian theology that I, uh, fed myself with, with, that I grew up on. It's my way of understanding the world. Um, uh, not literally, uh, I'm speaking metaphorically Mm. and mythologically and and so on. And that's a whole other topic, (laughs) but, but, um, you know, so, and I visit Lisa and I visit the odd church, um, now and again. Um, I, I'll listen to the worship music or, you know, whatever, and appreciate it. Uh, although I often feel like I'm an alchemist now having to transmute the words into what it really is being said, mm. <laughs> you know, but, mm. but, uh, it's, you know, um, I think I worked through a lot of, uh, negative, um, stages to come to a place of peace and acceptance and, uh, where I can, I have a healthier relationship with the church than ever as well, where, I feel I can visit, um, pop in, you know, uh, know people, um, hang out with people, but you know, there's, there's three kinds of, um, dependence. There's codependence, uh, independence and interdependence. So I try to avoid the codependent stuff. I try to be independent because I think that makes for the healthiest interdependence. So, um, yeah, I, that's, in some ways, my life looks a lot different, but in many ways, uh, it's kind of the same, except for Sunday morning, mostly, I'd say. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what, what does Sunday morning usually look like for you now? Oh, it's very quiet. I can't believe how quiet Sunday morning is. Um, it's very peaceful. If Lisa's off, we, we get up and, you know, have our coffee and listen to music and read and go for a walk and maybe go out for breakfast and, you know, but on the odd occasion, we might pop into a church. Uh, there's a vineyard church, not far from here. We might pop into, or there's another one about an hour and a half away. We might go and see there's friends there that we have and we'll visit with them. But usually it's just at home being very quiet. <laughs> what a, what you know, a, I go for a run <laughs> You know? What a what yeah. a change! What a change! <laughs> it is. I'll tell you the first. I remember the first Sunday I uh, after I quit, and uh, it was a beautiful sunny day. And what a bizarre feeling that was, because I'd been in the church for as a pastor for thirty years plus all the years I was just a regular person, and uh, what a strange feeling, man really bizarre and I went took my dog for a walk and all these cars driving by with people dressed up inside I knew they were going to church I felt awkward but I felt good it was it was a bizarre feeling (laughs) but now now it's just you know it's just a a very peaceful quiet it's the most peaceful and the most quiet day of the week morning of the week Mm -hmm. 
as it yeah. as it probably should be. Yeah, as opposed to the most stressful, intense, busy mm. uh, morning of the week before. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what is it that you are currently curious about? Um, I one one of the I, I just finished writing a book and I'm it's off to the editor now and <laughs> you're gonna laugh, but maybe you won't laugh. <laughs> but uh, I called it "Money is Spiritual." 30 meditations for people who have spiritual hangups about money. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote it mainly because I wanted to know what I thought because I had developed over my lifetime and through the ministry a very unhealthy attitude about money. And it was uh, associated with my poverty mentality, my scarcity worldview, mm -hmm. you know, uh, negative um, and limiting beliefs and so on. And so I, I wrote this out, and I'm re really glad I did, and I'm hoping it'll help other people too, because when I left the ministry, I knew I had a huge learning curve ahead of me, and that was how to make money, mm -hmm. and how to make a, a good living, and how to sell my art, and how to promote my work, and how to sell stuff, and that was totally against the grain of everything and everyone, everything I was, and so um, it was a huge battle. I had to get over my hang-ups about money and business and selling and marketing and promoting and, and all that kind of stuff. And I did, I have, I'm doing okay. And uh, I wanted to share my, my findings with others. So for me, what, what's interesting for me is how to, how to be a healthy person in the world, you know, um, and, and to do well. And so I'm, I'm learning all about that. I, I also enjoy reading, Books like by Carlo Rovelli's uh, Seven Brief Essays on Physics, or, or I, I forget the exact title. I think that's what it's titled, but one of the, you know, oh, there it is. Uh, the Order of Time is one of his books, mm -hmm. and the other is uh, Seven Brief Lessons on Physics. Um, you know, books like that, like uh, Quantum Physics and things like that, and Philosophy. Uh, I enjoy reading that because I'm trying to communicate and articulate a kind of a holistic, unified understanding of of the world. Uh, where I used to say this that sac secular and sacred aren't separate; that they're totally overlapped or even integrated or even one. I used to say that, but now I'm I uh, you know. That has practical application. I'm trying to figure out what that means. You know, how can you be a, how can I be a businessman and be spiritual at the same time? That to me is a, a burning issue. Mm. And I think it is for a lot of people and I'm trying to figure my way through it and help others too. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been thought-provoking and encouraging, um, and I hope that, uh, that others will find it the same. Um, uh, we're going to put links to um, the websites and to your art um, on, this, on the podcast episode page. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transformationist. We hope that the journey doesn't stop here. For more information about this episode and materials we referenced, please visit thetransformationist.org or join the Facebook group for more conversation about this week's episode. Just search for The Transformationist by Tash McGill on Facebook. 
This episode was written and produced by Tash McGill with production support from Truthwork Media and music is by Hans Van Vliet. The Transformationist is brought to you by Solar Feeder Consulting and TashMcGill.com. 